Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, episode 302. We are the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore. Joining me tonight are my friends Steve Saipa and Chris McShane, and we are uh, recording this at 10.20 p.m. on Thursday, the 29th of November, 2018, and right now we are waiting for uh, the official announcement and details and players in this potential blockbuster trade between the Mets and the Seattle Mariners. Here's what we know so far. So far, we know that Robinson Cano is the centerpiece of this trade. Um, Before we get into any other players that are part of this trade, in a vacuum, removed from contract and removed from playing time slash who people are who are giving up for. What do you guys think Robinson Cano would bring to the team in 2019? Uh, Chris, we'll start with you. So, yeah. Um, where do I begin? Uh, I, so, I have always liked Cano, despite the fact that he played for the Yankees for so many years. Um you know, I thought it was really strange that they let him walk and signed Ellsbury for a lot of money instead. Um, you know, so I'm coming from a background of appreciating him despite him playing for a rival and, uh, you know, just admiring what he would do year in and year out. Uh, aside from this year, having been one of the most durable players in the sport, you know, um, the eclipsed 160 games played several times and uh you know was in the 150s every other year really that he was a full-time regular um you know so that background just this super durable guy who just knows how to hit you know and i, I feel like it's a cliche that'll get thrown out uh sometimes that we don't like but with him it's really true you know it's just a very dependable Great player. Uh, so, you know, looking at all that, uh, I haven't shaken that perception of him yet because he hasn't changed uh, from that yet. You know, the, I guess the counter argument might be, well, he had the PED suspension this year, and you know, how much did that factor in to what he's done lately, and and all that. You know, I'm sure that's going to come up. Um, he doesn't seem like a guy who will get away with the PED thing and get off the hook. He's not D Gordon for whatever reason. <laughs> uh, you know, some guys get the suspensions and it's like, it never happened in terms of perception and some don't. Um, so all of that said, I expect him to still be the hitter that he's generally been, you know, well above league average hitter. Uh, you know, you look at his last three seasons and, uh, you know, two out of the last three, including this one, which was abbreviated, he was, you know, even better than his career norms, um, which is pretty remarkable. So, you know, you look at a guy like that, and it would be naive of me or anybody to say that there's no concern about what he looks like in the last one or two years of this contract. Uh, you know, but. To me, that's okay. You know, the, I, I think this is a guy who is still, he just turned 36. Uh, and, you know, in a lot of cases, I get why people are apprehensive about the, uh, a player at that age. But he's still doing it. He still did it this year. And, you know, guys who are this good, uh, I give him a little more slack. You know, if David Wright weren't, uh, if he hadn't gone through all of that he'd gone through before playing his final game, I'd make similar arguments in his favor. Um, you know, if I were a Yankees fan, I would have been doing the same for Mariano Rivera. And I'm not drawing a parallel saying that, relatively speaking, that Cano is that good at what he does. Um, you know, but there's a threshold that if guys have passed it and they're above it and they remain above it, uh, you know, I'm I'm willing to maintain confidence in them. I think a little bit later than uh, than the average fan. So, you know, that's that's all focused on the offensive side. I'll admit that I have not seen him play defense 
Um, for years, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, well, it's the combination of West Coast games yeah. and, and the Mariners are nice and like as, as a concept, <laughs> like oh yeah, Seattle <laughs> and all that. But I don't, I don't watch Mariners games, so I can't speak with any authority. And the more you hear about defensive met- metrics that are available to us, the more they seem not only like not good, they seem almost entirely useless. So, you know, I, I know he's still capable of playing the position. Uh, he's probably going to be better at it than, you know, some of the guys we've seen play it over the last few years for the Mets. I mean, to be fair, Chris, I think you'd be better than some of the guys we've seen play second <laughs> for the Mets last few years. I, I, don't, I don't know. But, yeah. I think you so, have more range to your bad side than Ezra Cabrera did. Maybe. Maybe. If I, uh, if I really tried... I did. I did turn a double play in softball on a team that had never turned a double play before See? as a second baseman See? last summer. There so, so yeah, I can't speak with too much authority on Cano's defense. Uh, you know, in his time with the Mariners, but you know, you, you look at this overall player, and I don't have any concerns about how he's going to hit for the first, I'll say, three years. You know, maybe maybe he remains a good hitter beyond that. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. And, and how many years are left, just for clarification? Five. Okay. And, you know, it's uh, there's other stuff that we can get into uh, in terms of the contract and the Mets' financial commitments and all other sorts of stuff that factor into this. But uh, I, I, I just want to get sort of our baseline opinion of Cano first. So, Steve, what is your right. sort of baseline opinion about Robbie Cano? Uh, in a vacuum, I like Cano a lot. Um, it always bugged me when he was with the Yankees to see them kind of just disregard him as he's hitting, you know, 300 with 20 home runs. Meanwhile, the Mets kind of had a, a revolving door of second baseman. But, I mean, if Griffey's swing is like the sweetest swing in baseball, Cano is, you know, he's up there. And, yeah, he's old. He's 36, but... Hey, I'm 36. I, Fuck I, you. That's not old. <laughs> uh, I mean, he didn't fall off a cliff offensively when he turned 31. He didn't turn when he turned 32, 33, and so on. So I don't think that, you know, there's really much worry that he's immediately going to become an, a, an offensive black hole. And defensively, you know, I haven't really seen much of him either. But I've been told that, you know, he's passable. I was looking at his defensive numbers before, and they're generally all positive. So even though defensive metrics really aren't the end-all, be-all, at least they are all saying kind of consistently that he is okay and something's better than okay. And, you know, it's not like the Mets have really had anybody at second base that was an above-average defensive second baseman. So, I mean, as long as he could make the basic plays... I'm fine with that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think that uh, Chris and I were talking before we started recording about how, uh, how you know, for guys of sort of our general age, and I believe I'm the oldest of the three of us by a couple of years, but, you know, um, we remember Robinson Cano being great for the Yankees. Not, not just being good, being, you know, absolutely great and i think it's hard to sort of divorce especially because he did go to the west coast and he did continue to put up good numbers so it's hard to think about to me it's hard to it's hard to think about robbie Cano being bad i've never seen evidence of that even though i haven't seen a lot of him the last couple of years since he's been on the mariners you know he's he's always been very good in my viewing of, of his talent. Literally the worst thing I can say about Robbie Cano is I hated him when he was in the all-star, well, sorry, in the home run derby, how much Chris Berman was going off on the fact that his dad was throwing to him. Like it was the most annoying part of that year's home run derby. Chris Berman just gushing all over Cano's dad for no good reason, really. Um, and if that's the worst thing I can say about a guy, that's, you know, it's pretty awesome. Um, I think in a vacuum, I'd be worried about his age. I'd be worried about the fact that, you know, there's really only one place to move him on the Mets, and that's over to first base. And you supposedly have 
a first base prospect you're pretty excited about right now. So it's not like we're signing a shortstop who could move to different places on the diamond or if we were in the American League, could be a DH when his defensive skills erode. You know, you're sort of hamstringing yourself defensively by bringing in Cano at this age. Um, now, I don't want to spend too much time on Cano's contract because we don't know if this deal goes through how much the Mariners are going to be picking up off that. But he's owed a lot of money for the last five years of the deal. And... You know, I've seen a bunch of people online today saying that, quote, these contracts just don't happen anymore. And I think that's a little bit reductive because there haven't been too many free agents of Cano's caliber hitting the market in the last couple of years. And I think I think it'll be very interesting after this season, after this offseason, rather, to see what kind of contracts guys like Machado and Harper get. I'm not saying that Cano is necessarily equal in talent to those guys, but I don't think it's too far off to say that when Cano signed that deal with the Mariners, he was the perceived equivalent of that type of player. Would you guys agree with that? Yes. No, yeah. So, you know, so, you know, we'll see what kind of contracts those guys get this offseason and see if, quote, those deals don't happen anymore. Um, I think that the contract should be the scariest part of Cano. I understand that there are scarier parts of the trade, but I think if you're looking purely at Cano, the contract should be the scariest part, even more so than the age. Would you guys agree with that? Yeah. Yeah, I I think so. And I'm kind of (laughs) glad I woke up this morning uh, fairly early. So I had some time and I was just getting annoyed about... um, it was related to Cano, I guess, a little bit, uh, but you know, it was just the sort of overall uh, fear of spending money or committing money to guys. So I just whipped up a quick thing about, you know, hey, as a reminder, the Mets don't have payroll obligations after 2020. <laughs> but literally, there's nobody yeah. on the roster who's guaranteed money beyond that year. So. You know, you look at this and, you know, it's, uh, I'd prefer, you know, to set out and say, all right, our our first large commitment for beyond that season is that we're going to pay Jacob deGrom, you know, a a good amount of money and extend him. And we're going to, you know, extend Noah Syndergaard, those kinds of things. But, you know, even if, and it, Again, we we just don't know until we know. Uh, but even if it's the full twenty four million, I I know it's the Mets. <laughs> I know, like I know we get concerned about every dollar um, because we've kind of had to with the way the team has been run. Uh, but even if it's the full twenty four in years where they have nothing else committed, you know that shouldn't be the end of the world. Um, you know, it, it's you look at teams that are competitive, and and you know, I think it's a point that people have been making that I, I at least uh, agree with most people who are saying something on social media about all this stuff tonight, <laughs> which is rare. Uh, but you know, it, it depends on what else they do. You know, you look at this stuff, and look if you have twenty four million in full committed to Cano in years three, four, and five of of the remainder of his contract, if your budget's going to be 130 to 145, then that's a big problem. If you're actually willing to, you know, spend some money in those years, it's not the end of the world. And if, if it's better than that, if the Mariners are eating, you know, half of this and, and the pure speculation here, you know, but if, the, if they're eating half of those years, um, you know, that that is significant. You know, then you get into a player who's just kind of like, oh, we accidentally signed Jay Bruce again. You know, <laughs> which shouldn't be the end of the world. Um, so yeah, that that's where I am on it. You know, they. I love Cano. He wouldn't be the first guy that I would want to lock into the 
you know, the, the future money. But they're in a spot where they can afford to do that right now, you know? I mean, relatively speaking. Yeah. All right, let, let's briefly touch on the other uh, reported player that's in this deal coming to the Mets, which would be Edwin Diaz. Uh, Diaz is the closer for the Mariners, was a quite good closer last year, 57 saves, I believe, uh, he notched. And, uh, you know, I, I think most people agree the Mets bullpen needs a lot of work. And I think that going after a top-notch closer is a, a, a pretty clear indication that the team agrees. Um, again, in a vacuum, what do you guys think of Diaz? Steve, you want to go first uh, this yes. time? I mean, I really don't know much about him. I know that he's been... He was good last season, and he's kind of been consistently good, which is a problem for a lot of uh, relievers. So, I mean, that much is good. And, you know, the Mets definitely do need bullpen help. And if they're going to target anybody on that team to um, couple in the Cano trade, he would be the guy to try to take from them. Chris? Yeah, no, I... I mean, this is a guy who is just phenomenal. Um, you know, you look at what he did this year, uh, 1.96 ERA, struck out over 15 per nine, walked just a, a hair over two batters per nine. Um, you know, threw 73 in the third innings. And, and, yeah, that is an awfully impressive pitcher. Um, you know, he's still... He's 24 now. He'll be 25 before the season starts. Uh, so, you know, not exactly old by baseball standards even. And, uh, you know, he's got four years of team control left. And, you know, assuming he continues to be a closer and put up the numbers he's put up, he will make more money as those arbitration years go on. But, you know, year one, 2019, year two, 2020, um, you know, 20, I think, uh, is the first Arbrays year for him. So you're looking at very affordable during those years and then, you know, maybe moderately expensive in year three and then expensive but below market rate probably in year four. You know, just, just with the way these things tend to play out. Uh, so, you know, he, he's the right age to get a guy. You know, Addison Reed was a little bit older when the Mets acquired him. Um, but I think he was still in his twenties at the time, at the time, but, you know, going into his age 25 season track record of dominance, high, very high strikeout pitcher who, uh, in 2017, he did have a bit of a walk problem. Uh, but generally for his career, he's been, you know, good at not issuing walks, uh, stranding base runners, you know, just doing all the sorts of stuff you would like to see that kind of guy do. And, you know, I know the Mariners weren't totally horrible, and I, I almost hate myself for referencing it, but he did rack up 57 saves <laughs> this year. Um, and I don't necessarily ascribe that much value to save situations and all that, but a lot of people do, and I'd imagine they would find that appealing. Um, so, yeah, I, I love him. Uh, you know, part of that comes... I'm referencing my fantasy baseball career now with a softball game that I played in the same episode. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, if you, if you're in fantasy leagues where relievers are highly valued, um, you know, this is the guy who's been on your radar, uh, the last couple of years. So, you know, I, it, he's been a familiar name despite the West coast thing, uh, for me because of that. So, Yeah. Yeah, I think that this is a damn exciting pitcher. And it could be a lot of fun for this guy to be on the Mets. Um, you know, as always, I wish that A, the Mets spent money, and B, the Met, that he was a free agent so the Mets could spend money on him. So it wasn't a trade situation, because I like to hoard prospects as much as the next guy does. Um, but let's get into that. And Steve, this is where you're really going to be the sort of lead voice here. 
So there are a number of names that are tossed around as being part of this trade. We're not going to seriously talk about Anthony Swarzak or Jay Bruce because I think that all of us can say, and I'm speaking for Chris and and Steve without even running this by them, but I think we can both, I can say with confidence that giving up either of those two guys in this trade is not making any of us sweat. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, good. Um, so the other players mentioned are the Mets' two top pitching prospects. Um, Steve, how would you rank them? Who's who? Get, who gets the top spot here? Uh, Dunn is definitely over Peterson. Okay. So uh, Justin Dunn, David Peterson, um, Jeff McNeil is a name that in the last few hours has emerged as potentially a piece of the trade. Um, you know. And, and that somebody that's somebody I have a lot of opinions on. We'll get to that in a bit. And also uh, Jared Kalenic or Kalenic. I keep forgetting how we decided we're pronouncing it tonight. Um, who is uh, the Mets' top outfield prospect? Who was their first round draft pick in 2018? Correct. Yeah, this year. Well, this past year. Yeah. Past year, yeah. And um, you know. I think that depending on the combination of those players, it can be pretty easily understood why some people feel this trade is a bit lopsided on the Mariners' side, that they will be getting much more value than the Mets will be getting. But again, Chris and I were talking before the show about how both of us, you know, we follow the Mets' farm system closer than most, but we don't have a ton of opinions on these guys. We haven't seen them play for the most part. So, Steve, you've seen a lot of these guys play. Talk to us about sort of how you value these players, and then we'll talk about the deal sort of more concretely in a few minutes. Uh, well, the the get that the Mariners are going to be getting is definitely Jared Kalanick. Um, he is a pretty high upside guy. I know uh, just kind of surfing Twitter and the internet, whatever today, there are people that are very, very, very high on him and are, you know, kind of acting like he's a star already. And I'm not going to say that I think he's bad. I don't. <laughs> but I think it's a little premature to be kind of saying that he is a star and that the Mets are, you know, crazy to be trading him away. Um, I see him more as a kind of guy that, you know, is like a 260, 275 hitter with uh, 20 home runs, 20 stolen bases, a kind of like a, a Tommy Pham kind of guy or a uh, George Springer, you know, he is a guy that, with more speed. yeah, he's a guy that is good all around. Maybe, you know, he'll have a season or two where he's above average in certain uh, aspects of his game. But I don't think that he is like a, he's not, you know, an elite prospect, like top of cream of the crop of outfielders in baseball kind of guy. Other people, you know, are high on him, but that's just my take. Um, the next guy would be Dunn, Justin Dunn. And he's another person that there are a lot of mixed feelings about. And I'm trying to remember when he was drafted that year, I saw him probably about five times, four or five times with the Cyclones. And then I saw him once this year with Binghamton. And he was a guy that I was never really that high on. And he really hasn't done much to um, impress me much more. Um, uh, for our listeners who maybe aren't familiar with his his stuff, how would you describe his stuff? All right. So he, he has a good fastball. Uh, it sits, you know, low to mid-90s. It tops out at about 95, 96 or so. When he was a reliever at Boston College... He could hit, you know, 98, 99. But as a starter, obviously, he has to pace himself. So I feel like there's sometimes confusion that people will see, like, he was hitting almost triple digits as a reliever and think that he is doing that as a starter, and he definitely is not. And in addition to the fastball, he has a, a decent slider. Um, it didn't, you know, flash plus or anything like that for me when I saw him uh, most recently. And then he also has a changeup that he really doesn't use, and it's just kind of an okay pitch. And 
he is a starter, and he's been used as a starter his entire you know tenure with the Mets. But honestly, I feel like uh, he is better suited as a reliever. Um, he gets hit hard by left-handers. His pitch repertoire is you know kind of limited. It really is just fastball slider, and he is a kind of slim guy and you know there could be some durability concerns going forward and i think that his ultimate future is in the bullpen and he could be a decent bullpen piece and the reason why i'm not really that upset if the mets do trade him you know if he is one of the guys that goes is because you know his him reaching his 90th percentile outcome, uh, you know, maybe even even more than that, would be what the Mets are getting back in Diaz. So it's kind of, you know, the Mets are giving up someone and getting back the guy that that person could have become if everything went right. That's a really interesting way to put it. I'm glad you put it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, then there's Peterson. Uh, you know, he is not a flashy pitcher. Uh, left-hander, he kind of sits in the low 90s, has a heavy fastball, and uh, he's always kind of reminded me of Mark Burley in that, you know, he's just kind of a a workhorse kind of guy that's going to just give you innings and innings, and they're usually going to be decent innings, you know, good innings most of the time, Um, nothing too... You know, flashy, though, at the strikeouts, walks, just kind of a dependable guy. And that leaves us, I guess, with Jeff McNeil. And I know you wanted, you mentioned you had some opinions about him. Yeah. Um, you know, I really try and not be the guy who overvalues their own player because it's so easy to do that. You know, I watch the Mets more than I watch any other team by yeah, a laughable margin, right? But I loved what I saw from Jeff McNeil this season. I think he's a better defender than anyone thought he would be, probably. I think he uh, he was just so much fun to watch, spray the ball all over the field. Uh, one of my friends took to calling him uh, Daniel Murphy without the hiccups. <laughs> and I feel like that's actually a really good way to describe him that he never made those stupid Murph plays that Murph would make, you know, all the time. Um, and, you know, getting a young, cost-controlled second baseman who's going to look like hit you 300 and you know, give you a little bit of pop and play a decent second base, that, that that's a guy I don't want to give up in a trade, especially when I don't think there's any real... Uh, I mean, I think in 2019, Robbie Cano is absolutely a better player than Jeff McNeil is. I think in 2021 or 2022, that's a a very open question. And so I'm reluctant to give up, you know, on a player. Not give up on a player. They're they're not giving up on him. They're, they're, They're using him to get something else. That's a very different situation. But I would be very reluctant to give up on a long-term piece that the team can build around for a guy who is on the wrong side of 30 and who's making, I mean, infinitely more money than McNeil is going to make over the next five years. Uh, I'm not saying that I'm, I'm necessarily down on this deal in the abstract, but I think if McNeil's a part of the deal, that to me is the most that's the most worrisome part of what the Mets might give up. Uh, does anybody have a different most worrisome part? No. I mean, there's always the chance that, you know, Kalinick kind of blossoms into a, you know, closer to a kind of Carlos Beltran player than, you know, a Springer or a Fam, or that Justin Dunn is able to be that kind of front-end starter that, you know, they kind of saw in him when he was drafted, but those two things I think are much further, much bigger long shots than Jeff McNeil continuing to do what he did all season last year. Chris, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, I just McNeil's the kind of guy that if you can keep him, you know, uh, even with Cano on the roster, that would be really nice because, you know, but despite me setting his durability, not just Cano, but around the infield, there's going to be playing time. There's always time for that extra guy. So I'd love to keep him. Uh, you know, you, you have this guy who's shown he can do it at the major league level. You know, he's not several levels away. So, yeah, losing him, I think, would be the biggest concern. I wouldn't want to lose him and Kellenic at the same time. You know, done. Um, I'm kind of going with what people who know this stuff better than I do had said. So, not that he's going to amount to nothing. I don't think that's what people have said about him. But, you know, that's somebody I'm, I'm comfortable partying with um, in, in this situation. So, yeah. Keep yeah. one of those two. And I have, I'm fully on board with this deal. Okay. So, so, that, so that's your position. So, yeah. Keeping. Either Kellenic or Dunn, and you're on board with the deal. Steve, what, what's your uh, what's your level of comfort with the deal involving those players in some combination? Uh, if Seattle took those two pitchers, I would be uh, I would drive them to the airport. But <laughs> most likely, the I mean Kellenic and McNeil are obviously the better. Uh, values and the better players, I think. And so they're the ones that are definitely one of those two are going to be targeted. And of them, I guess I'd rather see um, Kalenic taken just because he is further off. Whereas McNeil, you know, he has however many games at, at the MLB level and he's shown that he is able to hit at a, you know, pretty good elite level at the major league in the major leagues and he has, you know, positional versatility and he is cheap and he could kind of put up maybe not exactly the same kind of offensive numbers that can would, but you know, a shade or two below and for pennies on the dollar. Um, you mentioned McNeil's positional flexibility in, in your, uh, in your opinion, where can McNeil play on the diamond without embarrassing himself right now? Second and third. I would not go crazy if he saw a very, very limited time at short. And I think he could probably play left as well. See, that that was my question. So if, you know, if Jeff McNeil is not part of this trade and... You know, there, there's every opportunity for, first of all, just even if, if McNeil's on the team and Cano and Frazier are on the team, he's likely to get a little bit of playing time from both of those guys. He will likely get a start here and there at either short or first, possibly, depending on you know various circumstances. And like you said, left field could also possibly be in play. I think if Frazier is traded or if we're talking about 2020, by my eyes, and I am not a scout, and I, I do not trust my eye test the way I trust, like, Steve's eye test, say, or likely Chris's eye test. I think you both probably have a much better eye for this stuff than I do. I would think he could be a, a passable third baseman for the Mets in the future. Absolutely. I mean, once Frazier is gone, he, I feel, is the heir apparent to third base because, really, the Mets have nothing in the system at third. I mean... The closest guy that they have, if they want to look internally, would be, I guess, David Thompson. And he spent most of the year uh, injured, so he didn't play this this past season. And, you know, he's not a guy that really there's much excitement around. He's a, you know an okay hitter with not that much pop, and he could play below average to average defense to third base. McNeil is, you know, better than that in every aspect. Yeah. That's also why I feel that Kellenic is the guy I would rather see go, because while the Mets aren't set at outfield in the way that, you know, I mean, look, 
Kelenic will, 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 would play in the Mets outfield in the future if he turns out to be two thirds of the player that you know people are saying on Twitter today that he is. But the Mets have a much clearer path to the outfield being successful to, in my eyes, and they do to the infield being successful right now. And so removing Kelenic from that, I still see a good Mets outfield the next three or four years. If you remove McNeil from the infield, I have a harder time seeing that. If that makes sense. Yeah, yep, I agree. Um, so, uh, Andy Martino tweeted 11 minutes ago, sources, Mets are hesitant on McNeil, could sub in uh, Gerson Bautista, Kalanick, and Dunn in deal. I think you're probably the only guy, Steve, was a real Gerson Batista take. So I, oh, I, I have one too. Take. Oh, you do? Oh, <laughs> go, go for it, guys. I mean, Steve might have. Uh, uh, mine goes back to spring training. So Steve's, and he did pitch on the Major League Mountain. So um, Steve's might be more recent. So go ahead first. Then if I have anything to add, I will, I will add it if I feel like it brings any value to the discussion. Uh, well, we ranked Batista. He was in the teens somewhere last year when we did our prospect list. Um, I know a lot of people kind of soured on him because his time at the major league level this year wasn't particularly good. Um, I like him, you know, as a as a relief prospect. I like him. He has a a fastball that is you know like almost triple digits, so it's a, it's a plus fastball. The problem is though, it's kind of hittable. It doesn't have much movement. And, you know, a good major league hitter, you give them enough time, they could, you know, time a, a, a jet plane flying past them and hit it. And, you know, movement is really key to good pitching. And he doesn't really have that. And his slider kind of comes and goes. There were games that I saw him in, not not physically saw him, but on MLB TV in Las Vegas where his slider would be, you know, Flashing plus, like an amazing, really looking, good looking pitch, getting guys, making guys look silly. And, and those are, you know, triple A, quad A guys. A lot of them are people that had experience in the majors. And then there'd be other times where he just wouldn't have it. It would just kind of be a flat, fat pitch that guys were just hammering around. So, I mean, if he was substituted in a deal, I would not have any issue with that. Um, he's not a an integral piece of you know the, the future for the Mets. Chris, take us. Uh, so yeah, no, just the I, the in person look back in spring training. Um, I think it was just one outing. So, and also I'm not a scout, <laughs> but you know just watching it from behind home plate. Uh, against the Astros in the spring training game. You know, you keep all that stuff in context, but he just looked impressive. Uh, you know, he uh, maybe it's just he's tall, lanky, throws hard. His slider looked pretty good that night. Um, you know, you added all that up, and I was like, ooh, this could be interesting. And, you know, I don't think we saw enough in 2018 to really know one way or the other. Um but yeah, that that in person look, um, I think that it, it just sort of stuck with me. So that was it. You know, he, okay. threw, he threw four and a third innings in the majors, so you know you got rocked, but it's four innings. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so two minutes ago, Andy Martino tweeted, "This is the deal <laughs> right now: Cano and Diaz for Bruce Swarzak, Dunn." Kalanick and Bautista. That seems like at least one player too many, doesn't it? So I feel Bautista was kind of a throw-in. You know, he doesn't really factor much into the Mets' plans, even if he does pan out. You know, his best-case scenario was a kind of mid reliever, and those guys are kind of changeable and and replaceable. And if that makes the Mariners happy, like, all right, fine. If that keeps them from taking, you know, requesting McNeil, then that that is what it is. So, I actually think we're all in more agreement on this trade 
than I thought we would be when this started, <laughs> uh, which is kind of interesting. I know that there are something uh, that there are some people on on Amazing Avenue who hate this deal with the you know fury of a thousand suns, and and I understand that hypothetically, um, and I'm sympathetic to all the reasons that they say that they are you know as against this deal as they are. Well, here's what I keep coming back to. If McNeil's not part of this, you're you're essentially giving up no known asset yep. that will make the Mets better in 2019 than they were in 2018. Right. I mean, sure, Jay Bruce can have a better season in 2019-2018, but he's not going to turn into Mike Trout, right? He's going to be he's going to improve the team a little bit. Um, Anthony Swarzak is hopefully, for his sake, going to have a better season than he had in 2018. But even if he replicates his 2017 season, that makes the Mets a little bit better. I would love to keep Kalanick and Dunn. Look, in a perfect world, we would spend like a New York team and wouldn't have to trade prospects. I, I understand all of that. But to me, if the Mets are in this mode where they feel they have to win now, I think that adding the 17th best offensive player in baseball, based on war last season, and adding, I think, inarguably a top 10 relief pitcher in baseball, is going to make the team better. This year, and maybe the year after. So, yeah, I mean, to me... Nobody gave a damn about Justin Dunn in terms of people who are like really tuned into this. I don't mean like as a person and and all that, but like nobody. <laughs> His nobody, mom still loves him, is what you're saying. Cool. Yeah, no, I, I, hey, he was, he was, well, I don't want to say was, still is at this moment, uh, but it looks like he soon will be a was uh, a Mets prospect. And of course, you're, you're, as a fan, you're hoping for the best outcome for all of those guys. Uh, you know, but it really comes down to Kalanick, uh, and that's it. Nobody cares about giving up Swarzak. Nobody cares about giving up Bruce. Nobody cares about giving up Bautista. And, and until, like, the last, I don't know, 12 hours, I didn't think anybody cared about Dunn at all. So it really comes down to Kalanick because, you know, sure, there's the money concerns on Cano, but as player for player – I would take Cano over Bruce, Swarzak, Dunn, Bautista, you know. So to me it boils down to if you think Kalanick is just – you cannot trade him, then you're never going to like this deal. Um, or if you think that Diaz could just be replaced as a free agent. Nobody cared about Bautista uh, until the last 12 hours. Nobody seemed to care about Dunn. So basically you're looking at Kalanick – you know, if you think he's a guy you can't trade, no matter what, then you're never going to like this deal. Um, you know, but I'd take Cano over Bruce and Swarzak in the immediate term, and Bautista, all three of them. Um, you know, and if you want to throw John in there too, I I would do that. Salary concerns aside, you know, I know that's not insignificant, but. I'd be willing to take on that risk of Cano in his last couple of years. Um, and that's fine. So if you, if you, you can split it up any way you want. Uh, but if it's really that you think Kalanick going in to bring you back Diaz and, and potentially salary relief on Cano, which we don't know yet. Um, you know, I think that's really the debate to have. Because um, I don't know. I'm sorry. You don't. You don't get to complain about guys that you didn't care were in the organization. Uh, you know, three days ago. Uh, Andy Martino <laughs> tweeted 34 seconds ago. Uh, Barring a snag, this deal should be done tomorrow. Exact deal changed once already in the past hour or so when the Mets pulled McNeil. So don't be shocked if there's another twist or two. Um, so I, I do want to ask you guys sort of one sort of big uh, question that we can't answer, but I, I, but I want your opinions on 
so Cano is one of the more um, famous clients of Bertie Van Wagenen. Before he was Mets GM, Cano was one of his clients. And I could look at this deal in two ways. And I think that one way is incredibly optimistic and one way is incredibly pessimistic. The optimistic side of me says that, look, very few people know a player better than their than their agent. Right? An agent has to be aware of so many parts of the player that just, you know, fans, even some you know, team personnel don't know their player the way that their agent does. And so if if Van Wagenen wants to trade for Cano, on one hand, I hope he has a definitive take on who that guy is and why he wants him on his team. So I think that there's a way that Van Wagenen has a more accurate view of Cano than I do. On the other hand, the these guys had a business relationship. They probably had lots of dinners together and probably are a bit buddy-buddy. And I could see Van Wagenen thinking higher of Cano than he should because he lets those personal feelings come into it. Do you guys have a, have a, a gut feeling one way or the other about that sort of thing? Hmm. Uh, I mean... I guess we really need to give him more time to see if it becomes, you know, if we if, if a pattern emerges. I mean, it this could just be all of the stars just lined up in the right way, and you know, the Mets were looking to make a splash, and the Mariners were looking to unload that contract, and just you know, everything just lined up. But if it becomes a kind of recurring theme over his tenure as Mets general manager, then it might be that latter uh, opinion that you had where he's just kind of showing favoritism towards guys that he's kind of buddies with. I mean, if that means Syndergaard stays for now, I'll sign, sign me up. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that part. You know, I he, think that's interesting. Go ahead, Chris. Sorry. Oh yeah, no, no. It's, um, you know, I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super worked up over potential conflicts of interest with him taking the job. Um, you know, you realize that they might exist, but yeah, I'm not, I'm not paranoid about it yet. As long as those possible conflicts of interest benefit the team, then that's all that matters. (laughs) Right. Well said, Steve. Right. Instead of the hometown discount, the, the former agent of mine discount yeah, it's it's gonna be fascinating. I uh, I really want to talk about like I we don't have time tonight because Skype is being a pain in the ass, and we'll get this podcast up tonight before the deal is official, so we're not you know talking about something that already happened. But um, I think that the Cindergard situation is as um, as interesting. And as complicated, if not more so, than this situation is. And I saw some people today online, um, and I'm, I'm not going to name names mainly because I don't remember who said it. <laughs> I, I spent today in a hospital, folks. I was checking my phone whenever I could. Um, they were saying that they felt that the desire to trade Syndergaard is going to come back and bite the Mets in the ass. Because they're because other teams are going to read that as Van Wagenen having inside information about Syndergaard that is negative, and so they're going to get a worse return on the deal because the perception is if his agent wants to trade him, then something is wrong there. And I find that to be a fascinating question that we probably don't have time for tonight. I mean, it pans out. You know, logically, it would make sense if if it is the case. Yeah. Well, folks, uh, we're gonna we're gonna get out of here so we can get this episode up quickly. We will likely be back in a day or two with a little reaction. I actually have a fun idea, Chris. Uh, I'll run this by you on the air because why not? 
So I was going to basically ask every AA staffer, whether it's just like a simple voice memo on their phone, to record like 30 to 90 seconds about their reaction to the trade and putting out just like an Amazing Avenue reacts to this trade podcast. Uh, <laughs> it, it could get interesting. Yeah, it could. That could be a thing we do. Um, yeah. <laughs> we can do it, and then we can't promise that we'll put it on here. Uh, depending on how it goes if it needs to be edited then we'll you know maybe we do it in uh in in print so to speak sure yeah that's fair um but yeah we'll we'll be back to talk about this trade a lot more i'm sure over the course of this offseason whether it happens or doesn't happen so uh until then you can find all three of us on twitter steve's at steve saipa chris is a chris mcshane i'm at brian is a nap Go to AmazingAvenue.com for all the news that we can get up there. Um, we're hoping to have some uh, some real exciting news this week because this is this is fun and this even even though this is frustrating and possibly maddening, this is so much better than the Mets doing nothing another offseason. So go to AmazingAvenue.com and read about all this stuff that is happening. And um, yeah, we'll be back soon with more. And so until then, keep McNeil, let's go Mets.